So here we are. Ah, I, I, Where we I'm are just we? so happy. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just such a joyful day. We're all together celebrating, worshiping God together. What a wonderful thing it is that he gathers his people together. And of course, we're, we're celebrating because we have Joyce here tonight. And so for those of you that follow us online, and occasionally you'll see in the chat, we're referencing the, the Southern Campus. Uh, in other words, <laughs> Joyce down in Mexico. She's here tonight, and then, of course, we just had our East Campus. Greg was on sharing our announcements, so that, that's joyful, too. I, I'm excited, too. Greg made reference that we are going to have our first time admitting members. Uh, if you've been in church for a while, you, you know the whole idea of membership. If not, I hope you'll take them up on emailing me and finding out the details on that. But exciting stuff. Uh, exciting stuff because God is working. He's bringing us together. He's building his church here. In this building, he's building his church in the online community that we have here at Little Hills. I'm just excited. What a wonderful thing that is. Wonderful, wonderful thing, too. We're going to enjoy fellowship afterwards, enjoy hot dogs. So many things he's doing. So many things he's doing. And it, we get wrapped up in them. And, and so now, as we're all excited, I'm going to talk about our need to stop and rest. How about that? You know, here's the interesting thing. Those two are not completely unrelated things, but they feel like it. Because I get excited, and when I'm excited, when I'm watching God working in really clear, bold ways, and of course he's working even when we can't see it, but, but when I really see it moving, it, see the Spirit moving, he's, he's working here, uh, I, I want to go do more and more. Let's do more, right? I mean, it's kind of hard sometimes to motivate ourselves when we're not really sure where God is working and what's happening. But when we see him working, we're ready to roll. That's when we still need to be aware that we need rest. I've had a few wake-up calls on, on that over the last few weeks, although one of them that was particularly notable to me, and if you know me, you know how much this pained me, was I got up in the morning and I, I made my cup of coffee. I have a Keurig, so I put the little K-cup in. <sighs> Refreshment is coming. Refreshment's coming very soon. You can smell it. And then I look over and I see it being snatched out of my hands because I didn't put a coffee mug under the Keurig and it's going right into the little drain cup. <laughs> that's when you know you need rest. When, when, when you're... Your, your wonderful coffee that's going to wake you up for the day is being snatched away from you because you are still too out of it to realize there's no mug involved. I really want that mug. The best part of waking up isn't Folgers on your counter. <laughs> that just doesn't have the right ring to it, does it? We want the coffee in a cup. So no matter how excited we are, we need those times where we stop and say, okay, I'm excited I'm watching God build his kingdom, but God also knows we need to rest. And, and we see an example of this in Mark chapter 6, where we're turning tonight, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or we'll have it up on screen. When we look at Mark chapter 6, we, we first see the sending out of the disciples. So Jesus sends them out. They're, they're, they're empowered to go and do his work on their own for a little bit. And, and so, you, you know, in, in their minds, they're probably kind of excited about this. We've been training under the rabbi. He's been teaching us about the kingdom. Now we're going off into the villages and we're going to proclaim. And so there's probably that real drive there, some adrenaline. They're ready to roll. And they finish that. 
We have some of the information in, in the scriptures about how not that, not that whole process goes how you would hope, but there's, there's surely some successes in there. They're surely proclaiming and some people are receiving, but it doesn't really matter. What matters in the end is that they've been traveling, they've been preaching, they've been teaching, they've been healing, they've been doing all this stuff. And Jesus knows they need to rest. That's what we see in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. So let's go ahead, take a look there. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. As we dig into God's word tonight and we hear what he has in there to teach us tonight, let's come before him in prayer and ask that he would guide us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thankful for your word, thankful for your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Lord, as we reflect on this word tonight and we're reminded that you are the creator, you're the one who knows us better than anyone else, including ourselves. Would you help us to hear what you are telling us and through that to be better able to do the things you've called us to do? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I think there's two lessons we, we can learn tonight in this reading. And the first one is one that feels very alien, in a sense, to our society today, and that is this. Rest isn't a bug. If, if you're at all familiar with IT lingo, if some of you I, I know have spent time in information technology, you know the old phrase, it's not a bug, it's a feature. And usually, if you call up IT, if you work at a company, you call up the IT help desk and your computer's not working right, and they say that, that usually means that they don't feel like fixing whatever's wrong. So it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> yeah, there's some smoke coming out of your, your, your computer. That's to provide a privacy screen. It's not a bug, it's a feature. So we know that, but sometimes it genuinely isn't a bug. But for us, oftentimes, I think we feel like rest is a bug. Rest is some malfunction in us. Why can't I just keep going? So much to do. God's given me this purpose. God's given me this, this opportunity to serve, whether it's at work or at school or in your neighborhood or at your church or in some other organization, online at night, on social media. Maybe you're scrolling, but you try to actually redeem it by praying for people. We, we can keep finding things to do. And we think, why do I have to run out of energy now? Why can't I just go a little bit further? But rest isn't a bug. God designed us as people who take times to rest. And we see that going all the way back to the very beginning, back to creation. The, the, the end of the account of the seven days of creation ends with rest. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Think about that for a moment. 
I think sometimes we, we think about how we wear down and we think, if only I lived in a world that wasn't fallen. If only sin hadn't entered into the world, I could keep going. I wouldn't wear out. I wouldn't need to take a break. But what does God do at the very beginning, before sin came into the world? What does he do before there was anything broken at all in the world? He rests. Now here's something interesting that I think for us today as we read this passage if we even stop to think about it at all and we don't just see it sort of as the period on the sentence of creation, you know, God created, 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 period. Okay, done. Let's move on to what's next. Let's go get to Adam and Eve. Let's find out about the fall. You know, if we actually stop and think about rest at all for a moment, we think, okay, that's interesting. I think it would have hit ancient ears a little bit differently for this reason. There were lots of stories about creation. There were all kinds of different stories from the pagan deities about how they created the world. Sometimes they were quite brutal. The Babylonian epic, for example, tells about a a battle between the gods and the one god is ripped open and turned inside out and turned into the world. That gives a different perspective to to the the land in which we live, doesn't it? So there were different stories like that. key thing was that the gods actually, because they weren't God, they were just giant human beings, essentially. Those gods and those stories actually wore themselves out. They, they couldn't lift another finger. They were exhausted from the work of creation. They needed a break. Sometimes it was even worse. They, they had created this world, they created human beings, and now they needed to, somehow to find some rest because those noisy human beings kept them up all night. Oh, they just kept playing their... Their, their, well, not boomboxes anymore. They kept playing their iPads all night long, and they had big Bluetooth speaker docks attached to them. And so the gods couldn't get any rest. They're so exhausted. One of the, the ancient myths about creation tells that the flood, it tells the global flood like we read about in the Bible, but it says the reason it happened was essentially a giant divine mute button because the gods wanted to shut up all the human beings that wouldn't quit talking all the time. It's a very different view of God or gods than what we find in the Bible. But I believe if we think about the Israelites out in the desert, they've been brought out of the land of Egypt and they're hearing this for the first time. They know these sorts of stories. They've heard stories about gods who just wear out. Some of, sometimes the, the gods, for example, in the Egyptian mythology, one of the stories of the world being created was that the gods created human beings because they needed their own private slave army that would do work for them because they couldn't do it all anymore. And so they get the idea of a god resting but not because he just chooses to. Not because he simply decides to declare it good. And more importantly, not because he wants to share it with the very ones he's created. Because in all those stories that the Israelites might have heard about deities fighting and building and and instructing and whatever else, the deities never invited human beings to come into their presence and rest with them, to experience blessing together. What does God do? God invites his creation to come into his presence and rest. Because for the true God, 
not all those false gods, but for the true God, the one who truly made the world. Rest isn't an opportunity to get away from human beings or to somehow restore himself after dealing with human beings. Rest is an opportunity to enjoy fellowship with his human creation. And so it is when Jesus sees the disciples coming back, he models that. The very creator in human form with his disciples says, you've done all this work, now let's go. Let's get away from everyone that needs to be ministered to for a little bit, and we're just going to go out on the boat. You have time to eat, time to rest, time to sleep, time for us to be together. This idea of rest is so core to the very calling of God's people that, for example, if we turn to Leviticus 25, we would read about how even the land is supposed to get a Sabbath. Every seventh year, God said that the land was to be allowed to rest for a year. You weren't to harvest even the wild crops that came up. Just allow the land to rest. Now, in modern agricultural theory, we understand that doing something like that is necessary unless you're going to use artificial means to keep the ground fertile. So isn't that amazing? God actually knew what the land needed before anyone else did. I wonder why that would be. He built the very creation on a cycle of work and rest. Work and rest. Meant to be productive. We are created to be productive. There isn't really an idea in Scripture of just shutting down at some point in life and saying, now I'm just going to rest for the rest of my life. Modern sense of retirement. And I I think as I look to, to people who retire well, you see a much more divine modeled picture because they go, and what do you do? Well, maybe you spend more time being with your grandkids and, and the rest of your family. Maybe you find a way to volunteer more at your church. You, Generally speaking, people maybe take a little time off and, are, and, and slow down, but then what are they going to do? They're, if they're going to keep going at all, generally it's going to be, now how do I use my time that I have? Why? Because God made us to work. God made us to be productive. I know a number of you know Ben Merrill. He was a pastor for years at a church in our, in our city, just down the road, one of our partners in Faith Tree, Harvester Christian. An amazing, amazing man. He was preaching still into his mid-90s, traveling the country preaching into his mid-90s, and just an amazing, amazing man, amazing, amazing preacher. And what struck me is that I heard the story of when he went to that church and how he arrived at that church as his retirement church. And then it grew by 10 times in size. God wasn't done with him. God's not done with any of you that are retired here. Don't think that he is. But whether you're retired or you're working right now, notice this pattern. We need to balance things out. We need times of work and we need times of rest. That's how God has made us. And I I believe when we actually can hold on to that, we start to feel a lot more joy in what God is doing in our lives. Because on the one hand, if we have no work, if we really say, I'm just going to quit working, you about someone who retires, made a fortune, retires at, say, age 40, and is going to spend the rest of his life just cruising the world. I bet that person isn't going to be very happy. Not how God made us. But on the other hand, too often, especially in our society today, we're like the disciples where we have found a way to fill every nook and cranny with something to do. 
and we wear down and we wear down and we think I'm exhausted. God models something better. It's really hard to hold on to that better. Because like everything else, we human beings kind of sway one way or the other, but, but God models something better. And so I think of that picture as we, we're going through this series on everyday Jesus that what does Jesus show the disciples? Jesus could have said, you know, I only have three years of earthly ministry here. We don't have time for breaks. This is, this is you're, you're, all, you're essential workers. We don't have time. We, we put a stop vacation order on all of your HR accounts. You can't take off until I'm done on this earth because we, we have a lot to do. He, but he doesn't say that. He takes them out onto the boat to rest. Because rest is actually something that we need. Sometimes we don't think we need it, but we do. read about a man named Randy Gardner, and in the 1960s, he became convinced that he didn't need to rest. He didn't need sleep. He was in high school at the time. That's an easier time, perhaps, to arrive at that conclusion. Uh, And he thought he knew better than his body. He didn't really need sleep, and he wanted to win the science fair prize. And I'm sure he looked at all the other prizes people were putting together, or all the other the other portfolios and what got prizes, all that sort of thing. And he thought, now how am I going to top that? And he decided, he, he read in the Guinness Book of World Records that, that someone had almost made it 11 days without sleep, and he decided he was going to break that record. He was going to document it, and that would be his science fair project. And so apparently for the first few days of his, this endeavor, it was pretty easy. He just stayed away from from anywhere near a bed or something comfortable. He stood up a lot. And he inducted two friends who were going to be co-producers of the science fair project with him who would have the duty to trade on and off, making sure he didn't fall asleep. Somewhere along the the lines as he was going through this, he started to hallucinate and he started to have some confusion. And so there was a doctor that got involved, a doctor appropriately named Dr. Dement, uh, who... (laughs) started to, with great fascination, study the degradation of the mind as Randy went further and further along in this project to to top the record and get to 11 days without sleep. Dr. Dement went and rented a convertible so they could drive around really fast with the wind blowing at Randy so he wouldn't fall asleep. But I think it was the 10th day they asked him to count down from 100, subtracting 7, and then subtracting 7 again, and he stopped in the 60s because he couldn't remember what he was doing. He made it, though. He made it. He made it to the 264th hour without sleep. They drove him to a hospital where they hooked him up with electrodes and then watched him sleep for the next 14 hours. And apparently after that, he woke up and said he felt about normal. Went back to sleep for 10 hours the next day, trying to get his clock back in order, and said he was fine. Now, apparently, though, they followed up with him 40 years after this. And 40 years after this original experiment, he realized his body had forgotten how to sleep. He couldn't get to sleep. And he's very much convinced that happened because of what he did to his body the years before. Now, somehow through treatment and so on, they have managed to get him to be able to sleep a little at night. And he's still alive. Uh, It didn't kill him, but, but he suffered over the years from depleting his body of sleep so dramatically during that time. 
but he thought he didn't really need that rest. And for a while he was functioning, and then he was, he was still thinking he was functioning, he just couldn't process like a normal human being anymore, but he thought he was functioning. He achieved a goal that he had his mind set on, but it reminds us of how we need to actually set aside time to rest. So it is that the Guinness Book of World Records has actually banned that category from its records now because they don't want to encourage people to go longer and longer. They don't want someone to ultimately die from sleep, sleep deprivation. Yeah, let's see. That was one of the tests on how, how well rested you were, is how you get words out. So we'll, we'll see how that, that goes. But here's the thing. We, we need to set aside time to genuinely rest. Now, I think probably all of us struggle with this in different ways. And I, I don't stand up here today as someone who has this all figured out. I am not saying I'm the most productive person. I, I know people who work way harder than I do. I also know that I'm not the best at resting either. And sometimes those kind of go in a vicious cycle where I don't rest, so I work more slowly, so I don't rest because I have more to, to get done, so I don't... So I work some more and I don't rest. And, you know, has anyone else ever done that? I'm pretty certain, yeah, that sounds sort of familiar. I see, yeah, it happens, right? So I don't come up here, and Scripture doesn't tell us even exactly how do we actually shut off our minds and make ourselves rest. It doesn't even necessarily say exactly what we should do with our Sabbath. If we, if we go back to the Ten Commandments and we say, I am going to keep the Sabbath, and there was a lot of discussion during Jesus' ministry on, on how his disciples did and did not keep the Sabbath. But we say, okay, I'm going to take a day a week, whether it's the Lord's Day on Sunday, whether it's the actual Old Testament-style Sabbath, Friday at sundown to Sunday, Saturday at sundown, some other day of the week, I'm going to take a day and rest. It doesn't say exactly how you should allocate the time of that day. It does say some things you shouldn't do. But does, there, this is not... 10 steps to the perfect rest. Rather, what I was doing is saying, it's okay to rest. In fact, God made us to rest. And we should work, ironically, <laughs> we should work towards that. I remember in seminary, one of my professors said that what our goal should be is that the Sabbath should be a day that we spend the week preparing for with excitement. So we plan ahead so we don't have to do everything on that catch-up day, and then it refreshes us so much we can't wait for the next week. And then we start preparing again. And if you can get into that cycle, it certainly does help. If we can nudge ourselves that way, it does help. And I, I, we can set aside time in different ways. The disciples, for example, in this passage, it doesn't say they go and rest on the Sabbath. They, they've been out ministering. They've been being followed by crowds every day. Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath, as, as a rabbi would do. But they go out when they have an opportunity. They take the boat out and they rest. How do we do that today? Well, one option we might do, I think it's a kind of interesting way to utilize technology to help us because technology also haunts us on this, is consider setting limits on work-related things on your electronics. You, you can take your iPhone or your Android and you can go in there and you can tell it to turn off notifications from different apps at different times of the day. You can tell it, I only can work this many hours in this app, or I can only view this so long. And there are ways to override it, but it's a gentle little nudge. Stay aware of, of how you're using your time. I think that's a good start, especially for those of us who, who our work revolves often around 
electronic means, whether you're working in an office or, or what, ha- what have you, if you're doing schoolwork on your computer, whatever it might be, consider, consider using technology to actually remind us of when it's time to take a rest. The other thing I think that we can see that Scripture wants us to know very clearly is that we shouldn't feel guilty for our lack of productivity. Because isn't it almost even when we do finally find a time to rest that we need to somehow prove that we productively use that rest? I, I saw a pastor I know, he, he posted on Twitter a question. He, he was going on a sabbatical, so an extended rest that sometimes pastors will go on after a certain number of years at a church to, to refresh. And his Twitter question was, what do I need to accomplish on my sabbatical? And it was different writing projects that maybe he should do during it. And, and in fact, oftentimes when we hear about people going on sabbatical, sometimes that's even required. Define what you're going to use your sabbatical to do. Isn't that funny? It's not successful unless I've accomplished something. What were the disciples accomplishing when they went out on that boat in a desolate place? They were accomplishing resting. God made us to rest. He modeled that from creation. Now here's the flip side of that, though. Because the Pharisees got this much. Oh, God said we should rest on the Sabbath. We are going to rest on the Sabbath. We're going to count how many footsteps we take on the Sabbath lest we walk too far and not rest. Many faithful Jews today continue to do this. They, they will, if they're looking for a home, they will look for a house that's within that number of steps from the synagogue so that they can arrive without working and get back home without working. Because you can't drive a car on the Sabbath because you're starting a fire. So I take it very seriously. And, and I've met men and women who do this very, very faithfully. They're doing it because they want to do what God's commanded them to do, and they genuinely believe that's the case. So I don't say that in, a, in any sense of a mocking way, but rather to note, isn't it interesting, in trying to rest in that way, it can become a very, very labor-intensive process of not laboring. And the Pharisees had mastered this better than anyone, because they spent their Sabbaths, we learn, trying to make sure that people were spending their Sabbaths correctly. Take a look at Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Pharisees are challenging Jesus and what he's doing on the Sabbath. Jesus responds to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Notice the real heart of the Sabbath, of, of a time of rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while, enter, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Rest is something that we should seek after. Rest as we take it in this life is a foretaste of coming into God's presence and experiencing the blissful rest of actually being in the very presence of God. That's what rest should look like. Yet the Pharisees instead we're turning things on their, on their head. And when we start to turn rest into this legalistic process of making sure that we don't do anything that might violate the Sabbath, instead of actually being restful, it ends up being a, a huge burden. 
And the strictest form of Sabbath keeping, whether it's a, a, there are Christians that do this, there are Jews that do this, whatever it might be, the strictest form of it ends up not really capturing the spirit that, that Jesus is exemplifying here at all. Because it ends up being that we can't even do good to other people. Take a look at the rest of Mark chapter 6 uh, that we read earlier, 6.33 to 34. It says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So Jesus is taking them out on that, that retreat. They're out in the wilderness, and they find out the campground's already occupied. Because when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Notice the key here. Jesus says, disciples, you need a rest. My friends, you need a time to rest and and to be restored. You've been working hard. So we're going to go out on this boat and we're going to go to this desolate place. And they have that time out on the boat. But they, they arrive at the desolate place, which is no longer desolate because people figured out where they were going. And when they arrive there, Jesus doesn't say, oh, the tourists ruined this spot. Oh, these annoying people, don't they realize this is my day off? I actually have heard a pastor in the past call up someone who was in an emergency crisis. A family member had gone to the hospital and he said, ah, it's my day off, but yeah, I'm calling. What do you need? I heard this. We shouldn't do that, friends. We have compassion on people. Jesus looked at these people and they were supposed to go on this retreat. But he sees these people and they don't know how to make sense of where they're going or what they're doing. They know that Jesus has the answers. They want to hear from Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, "I, I need to be there with these people in this moment. Doesn't say, uh, leave a voicemail with my secretary and I'll get back to you tomorrow. But Jesus is there for them. I think it's notable, I, until I was really trying to dig into preparation for this sermon, it never struck me. The first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark, the very first three, each of them has an example of Jesus doing some kind of good on the Sabbath, healing someone, serving Because here's the thing that Jesus was modeling. Yes, the Sabbath is for rest. Yes, we need a time to rest. Today we should hear this. I should hear this. You should hear this. We should take time to rest. And and yet, and yet, let's not use it as an excuse to avoid doing good. The Pharisees did. Now, the best rabbis realized this shouldn't be the case. And in fact, if you look at the the oral tradition around the Old Testament, the Talmud, the, the, the rabbis had debated, what could you do on the Sabbath? What couldn't you do on the Sabbath? And they, they looked back on passages like Deuteronomy 22.4 that talks about rescuing an animal that's fallen into a pit, not leaving it there suffering. And they logically made the conclusion, I think it's a very good conclusion, they said, well, if the point is, and that's what Scripture says, not to allow that animal in the pit to suffer, then how much greater evil would it be to allow that animal to suffer for even longer as you said, sorry, I'm on Sabbath, you stay down in the pit for a day. Not just an hour or two, but just a whole day. I'm not going to do anything for you. And so the general consensus seems to be you could rescue a hurting animal 
in a pit on the Sabbath. And as the Pharisees looked to, to pierce Jesus' ministry with some kind of, aha, gotcha, we're going to put you in the tabloids moment of the real Jesus, the scandal behind Jesus. They, they thought they had him on this. Jesus says, but your own tradition says that you'd rescue an animal from the pit. How much more a human being that needs help? It's interesting, we turn to, to Matthew chapter 12, we have several different incidents. Uh, they, they may be different aspects of the same incident, or they may just be several different occurrences in the life of Jesus. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 2, we, we find the Pharisees out in a field with Jesus. And, and here they are. I imagine them, the wheat is up to here, you know, on them. It's, it's really, I don't know if we actually get that tall. Anyway, the, 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 the wheat is, is, is up as high as it goes on them. And, and the disciples, they, they, they're, they're out there because they see the disciples. And the disciples are taking some of the grains of wheat and they're crushing them in their hand and then th- popping them in their mouth. They're hungry. It's the Sabbath. That's harvesting. And so the Pharisees say, aha, gotcha. You were harvesting on the Sabbath. I love what one commentator points out reflecting on that passage. He says, you have to wonder what the Pharisees were doing out there. (laughs) What were they doing? They were out there to catch Jesus and the disciples. They were actually, they never call it that because it wasn't in one of their categories, but they were working and they were working to do something that definitely wasn't good. They were out there just to find a gotcha moment, a way to, to undermine Jesus and his ministry. So there they are out there, binoculars in hand, watching as Jesus and the disciples go through the fields. Hey, hey, did you see? Yeah, yeah. Out there, yeah. Okay, let's go over and question him on this. The, 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 the grain's still in their hands. They're hunting on the Sabbath. Heresy hunting on the Sabbath. Matthew chapter 12, verse 12. As they're busy looking for these little things and trying to criticize Jesus even for healing people on the Sabbath, he says, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus says, you're getting it all wrong. You're working to find some way to criticize someone on the Sabbath rather than thinking about the idea that this is God appointing a time to dwell in his presence, to enjoy the fact that he loves you and has mercy on you. How about having some mercy on people? Why do we rest? What's the point of rest? It goes back to the point of work. Why do we work? We work because God gives us a calling, and that calling is to do good for his kingdom. And whatever gifts you may have, whatever ways you might work, whatever ways you might serve your neighbor, whatever ways you serve this church, whatever ways you serve the broader body of Christ, what's the point of that? Just to do good in the eyes of God. To, to love neighbor and to love God. And if we look at that framework, then what's the point of, of rest? Rest, the point of it is to rest so that we can do good. And so rest itself is doing good. But then when we see a crisis, when we see someone desperately in need, and we say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy resting so I can do good later on, while the person suffers, we miss the entire point of it. We need to have mercy. What does it look like? What does it look like for you and for me 
It's interesting, I know a number of you have been following the whole refrigerator replacement saga. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. That would take us way too far off course. It's been a bear. I really felt like I needed rest after that. But here's something interesting. I was reading about this new refrigerator, and it has a Sabbath mode in it. A Sabbath mode. And the point of that is to allow someone who's obeying the rabbinic tradition around the Sabbath to obey it while using the refrigerator. Because here's something that happens. When you open your refrigerator, if you have a working light bulb in it, what happens? Well, the light comes on. That's viewed as creating a fire, so that's work. So you'd either need to unscrew your light bulb or get a refrigerator without a light bulb or not open your refrigerator on the Sabbath. And so this refrigerator, it, it you know, everything's connected now. It knows what day of the week it is. If you turn on Sabbath mode, the lights will not come on if you open it on the Sabbath. Likewise, many modern refrigerators, I think most of them now, they count how many times you open the door. You don't really think about that, but they're, they're watching you now. And every so many times you open the door, it turns on a defrost cycle to avoid it getting frosted up from being opened. Well, defrosting is a work on the Sabbath. You're heating something up. And so when you turn on Sabbath mode, it turns the defrost cycle onto purely a, an alarm. It's only going to come on at a certain time of day, so it's not influenced by you opening the door, so you're not causing work to occur on the Sabbath. And on the one hand, I thought, well, this is kind of neat. I, I, I don't think it's necessary. I, I don't believe that Christians need to have a Sabbath mode refrigerator, but I, I'll give it to the company for thinking about people that feel this is necessary and, and putting the work into it and so on. But then it struck me something else. You realize what it's doing? It's disabling the good of the refrigerator on the Sabbath. It's not lit up. You can't find anything. So you're going to work harder trying to find food on the Sabbath if you open up your refrigerator with the light off. It's allowing the refrigerator to get frosted up and not run as efficiently on the Sabbath. In some sense, it's a mode that turns on, it could be labeled do less good when Sabbath. And too often, if we do finally find a way to build rest into our schedule, we turn on our Sabbath mode. And we have people over here who, need, who are just frozen in, in some kind of crisis and we don't help defrost them. We have people who are trying in our lives that are trying to find the truth of God's word and we say, I'm sorry, my lights are off until tomorrow. That's not the point of rest. Rest is to build, to do good to the very people around us. And, and we need to constantly be evaluating that and understanding if we're using it for good. It's not about restriction, it's about rejuvenation, about being able to serve those very people. And sometimes we may need to say, if the Christ isn't great, well, I, I, can we do it tomorrow? It doesn't hurt to sometimes say, I, I'm just exhausted, I need to rest. We can work through that subjectively and understand different situations. But then it should be because I need to rest so I can help this person better. I need to help, I need to rest because I have all these different things about God's calling in my life that, that I will be able to do better if I take a little time off in this moment. And that's exactly why Jesus takes the disciples out to the desolate place. Because I, I haven't mentioned this so far, and this is, we may remember this story sort of, kind of, but do you, do you know what story comes immediately after it? The one that's way more familiar to most of us, and that is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. This everyday moment where Jesus says, let's just go out and take a nice, peaceful, restful, relaxing cruise. 
It's right before Jesus does one of his most spectacular miracles. And the disciples are going to be a part of that. So I think the reason Jesus takes them out to rest, he knows what's coming. He's preparing them to go and do good, to serve these people that are lost without a shepherd. So how do we view rest from a biblical perspective? I believe it really comes down to this rest. God leads us to rest because rest is a part of the work he's called us to. Rest is a preparatory stage to everything else he's going to have you do after you finish resting. When we view it in that frame, it allows us to have, I think, much greater clarity of those times we say, I'm sorry, I can't do this right now. And those times we say, no, I, I was planning to slow down today, but I know this person needs help right now. The key thing is that we're always, always called to love our neighbors, always called to love God. And when we view a, a command, such as the command to rest, or any other command of God's, and we can't do both of those, we're doing it wrong. God always calls us to love our neighbor and to love him. And so it is that he gives us rest as a part of his work, as a part of his calling, that we can spend time enjoying him and being refreshed and then enjoying what he's called us to do. May we all experience that. Let's pray. Lord, we we pray that you would guide us, that you would help us to find moments of rest, that you'd help us in a world that, that calls us to constantly be productive more than ever, to know when it's time to say, I, I just need rest. To guard that, but not to guard it in the way that the Pharisees did, where, where we miss out on how people around us are in desperate need. Lord, would you never allow us to turn our lights off or, or quit defrosting the chill of sin? But instead, would you help us each and every day to love those around us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.